All right. Well, today we are continuing our series on the different ways that we hear, experience, and engage the Holy Spirit. And today is also a special Sunday in the life of the church. We celebrate Transfiguration Sunday. And that, if you didn't know, we have a calendar of the Christian year that we follow. It kind of changes why we change the colors up here. But Transfiguration Sunday is kind of in this in-between space. Okay? It's after Epiphany, and it's before Lent, and it just... This year, it's just kind of wedged in there somewhere, which I like. I really enjoy the fact that it's just kind of in this in-between space where who knows what's going to happen. The Transfiguration Sunday is a day of spiritual growing pains. I don't know if y'all are familiar with those, but I am. Those are that shock that gets brought on when you... Come face to face with the glory of God in whatever that looks like in the moment. And we are going to read a lot of scripture today. Hope you don't mind. We're going to start with the story of the transfiguration. I'm reading from Mark because that is my favorite gospel for lots of reasons. It's short. It's condensed. It's kind of to the point. A little snarky. It's okay. But I encourage you sometime this week, there are three gospel Sorry, my daughter. Uh, Blood sugar is going a little high. Her pump will take care of that. Um, I encourage you to read in Mark chapter 9, which we're going to do today together, uh, along with Matthew, starting chapter 17 in the beginning. And you can also find an account in the book of Luke, or the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. It's about halfway through. I think it starts about verse 23 or so. But I like the Gospel of Mark. And to set this up, Mark tells this story in the midst of frustrated and repeated attempts to get the disciples to understand that he is going to have to suffer. He's going to have to die. And the disciples don't want to hear it. Just a little bit before this story is when Peter says, you know, you are, you are the Messiah. And he says, I will have to suffer and die. And Peter says something like, no, I won't let that happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So he wants them to get it. They don't get it. Here we go. Mark 9, starting in verse 2, going to verse 10. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. 
As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead could mean. This is the word of the Lord for us. Thanks be to God. The Transfiguration. This story brings together Jesus and the only Hebrew prophets. I find it interesting. The only Hebrew prophets that had the luxury of appointing their successors. Moses chooses Joshua. And Elijah chooses Elisha. And not only do the disciples, Peter, James, and John, get to witness this, what has to be the rock stars of the Hebrew faith, sitting there and chatting with their beloved teacher. And Peter, I love Peter. Peter sees this and he's like, oh, this is great. Let's stay. Let's stay right here. This is wonderful. But then in the middle of Peter's humanness of wanting to stay in this this glory, God, through a cloud and a voice, says, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. They get to hear this voice endorsing Jesus' authority to transition work and leadership of his earthly mission to the disciples. Listen to him. You get this spectacle of this transfiguration, and Mark, I like Mark because he doesn't go into the minute little details. Luke, Luke is a lot more detailed. It's a beautiful story. But Mark's kind of like, this happened. And now we go on. But you got to think about it. this spectacle where Jesus is, his glory is absolutely shown to his disciples, to his friends. And it's kind of like absolute confirmation that Jesus is who he's been saying he is. <clears throat> Spoiler alert, they don't get it. They still don't get it. But you got to think, this big spectacle, it's just a little part of the story, right? I like to imagine... When this voice happens and Jesus hears these words, and the disciples hear these words, but the last time Jesus heard these words was at his baptism. And in that story, these words were spoken and Jesus heard them, and immediately the Holy Spirit takes Jesus to the wilderness, and there he is for 40 days, 40 nights, tempted. So I imagine Jesus on this mountain And here come these voices, and he's like, oh, goodness. Y'all have no idea what's coming. The last time this happened, it was big. So just hang on. Whether they like it or not, they can't stay on the mountain. They have to come down. They have to head into Jerusalem. And sometime between now and then. And that's going to be a hard road. And they're going to have some very difficult things to deal with on the way to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem when eventually they will watch their friend and teacher die. So I look at this story and I think, 
What does these encounters with glory, with the glory of God, what, what do they call the disciples to do? But more importantly, what do they call us to do when we have those experiences where we, we are just, we have no doubt that we are in the presence of God? What do we do with those moments? And if Jesus wouldn't let the disciples stay up there on the top of the mountain, we don't get to stay up there either. We have to do something with that. But I believe that the being in the presence of the glory of God equips us, not only calls us to do, but also equips us to finish the work or just to do the work. And during our past couple of teachings, we've been talking about different ways that we experience or hear or engage the Holy Spirit. And I think that this is a wonderful example of how the Holy Spirit was promised to us to be our advocate, our comforter, or our helper. The word means lots of different things. But we're going to go to the Gospel of John now. And this is when Jesus is talking to his friends, and he promises them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or comforter, helper, to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees the spirit or knows the spirit. You know the spirit because the spirit abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything. And remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father. Because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us be on our way. 
Now, encounters with glory call us and equip us to do the works of Christ and even greater works than these. The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and, in fact, will do greater works than these. Now, those are big shoes to fill. Jesus is saying, you're going to do great things. You're going to do greater things than I have done. And I think, like Moses and Elijah before him, Jesus knows that God longs to empower far more than just one individual. Yes, there's only one Messiah. But those with faith in Christ, we are called to be disciples. Because there is work to do. And I really, really love the last part. Rise. Let us be on our way. And it got me thinking. Where are they? What? What are they doing? Well, you have to go back to chapter 13, and we're not going to read chapter 13. You can. I encourage you to. But... This is part of a very long conversation. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks a lot. A lot. If you have one of those Bibles, the red letter Bibles that show you the words of, of Jesus in red, John is just lit up. But this section is a very long section. And it starts when Jesus and his friends are sharing a meal. And Jesus is talking to them. And he gets up and he washes their feet. And then he looks around and he says, I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. Acknowledges that his friend's going to betray him. Then he gets up and he takes bread and he breaks it. He blesses it gives thanks, and he breaks it, and he says to his friends in this moment, this is my body given for you. Take and eat, all of you. Passover, it's not what you normally say, but they go along with it. They go a little bit further. At the same dinner, he takes the cup, and he holds it up, gives thanks, and he blesses it, and he says, this is my blood of the covenant given for you and for many. Take and drink. Then he continues on talking to his friends. We talk about this part a lot. We don't talk about the other part every week. He goes on and he says, My time with you is growing short. Now I'm paraphrasing. Please don't think I'm quoting. I'm only going to be here a little longer. But y'all have work to do. And he tells them their work to do is to love. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. And then Peter. Peter says, where are you, where are you going? Where are you going and we can't come we always come with you and P 
Peter. I mean, if there is a disciple that I relate with, it's Peter. No, Lord, I don't want you to suffer. Oh, no, Lord, let's not leave this mountain. I'm, I want to stay. I want to stay right here. I will do anything. I want to stay right here. Oh, Lord, I love you so much. I would die for you, Lord. I would give anything for you, Lord. And Jesus says, or Peter says these things right now, and then Jesus responds to Peter and I in the same way. And he says, oh, Peter, before the rooster crows this day, you will deny me three times. Ouch. But then he goes on to say, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Because if it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will bring you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way that I am going. Oh, bless the disciples. They don't know. They don't know what he's talking about. They're too stuck on the separation. They're too stuck on the distance. They're too stuck on the unknowns. And I believe it's Thomas that says, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way to where you're going to be? We don't know where you're going. And then Jesus responds, I, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And they still don't, they still don't get it. They don't. They want to know, where's this Father? Where, where are you going? Why can't we come with you? And how in the world are we going to find the way to your Father without knowing where your Father is? They're too focused on the fact that their friend is going to be gone, that things are going to be different. Life is not going to be the way that it was. They're too focused on the distance, the unknowns. They don't understand that Jesus' very presence in the world and that everything that he says and everything that he does reveals God to them already. He's leaving. And he knows they don't get it. But he promises, I'm not abandoning you. He's promising them another counselor, another advocate. The Greek word that he uses means one who stands beside. He's leaving. He's been the one that stands beside them. He's leaving. They're clinging to that. They're scared. They're frightened. They don't know what's going on. But he promises them another one. 
This is also can be a legal term, like advocate. It's also a relational term, a comforter, a helper. Jesus is promising them continued comfort, continued teaching, continued guidance. He's telling them that even though he's not going to be there, things aren't stopping. He's telling them, you don't love me and show my, your love for me by clinging to this cherished memory of what has been. You don't show your love for me by clinging to this personal experience that you have had of me. You don't get to just keep this in. Instead, I'm going to send you, I'm going to have my father send you the gift of this other advocate. With the help of the Holy Spirit, the disciples, the very first few believers in Jesus Christ, are able to continue to follow and spread Jesus' own model of love. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, it becomes possible for the relationship with Jesus Christ to extend beyond just those few first disciples. Through the power of the Holy Spirit as an advocate, as a comforter, as a helper, that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think back to the many, many times over my life when the Holy Spirit has stood beside me to reveal God's great and abiding love. And I was thinking last night, which, which time could I share today? Which time could I share without just weeping? Which time could I share with you all? And the one that I have led on is, is one that happened almost 10 years ago now. And it was an invitation that I accepted from a friend to come and check out their new church. They hadn't been going to this church called Revolution for very long. But they thought it was okay. And thought I should come and check it out. And that accepting of that invitation during a time when, let's just say, I was not filled with what you might perceive as gifts of the Spirit or a embodied understanding of the love of God. I definitely wasn't treating myself very well in those years. But I remember saying, yeah, yeah, I'll go. And I remember this feeling inside of, yeah, yeah, you're going to go. You're going to go back to church. And that accepting of that invitation led to my meeting each and every one of you. And led to my standing right here today. In the midst of what I consider to be an extremely beautiful witness of the love and the abiding grace of God that is shown within this church and these people. So I would like to offer, in return, an invitation as well. 
that when we find ourselves in the midst of change, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of wanting to just go back up to that mountain, pitch those tents and sit there in the glory of God when that's what we want to do in the midst of the change, that we might remember to just turn Turn to the one that doesn't change ever, whose love will never change, whose guidance is there within us already. To turn to God through the power of the Holy Spirit and let us all be reminded of the great and abiding love and care that has been poured out on each of us. And that we might use that love and get caught up in that love and let that love lead us to whatever it is that comes next. Whatever it is. We're not promised a life free of suffering. That's not the point. Jesus makes this point over and over and over. We are promised to not suffer alone. The Holy Spirit, as a comforter, as an advocate, as a helper, as a guide, will continually reveal God's abiding love for us. So that we can take that great transformational love and show it to the world in whatever we do. Now that's powerful. And I imagine if we think, maybe not even so hard, we can imagine or remember a time when the Holy Spirit was that for us. When you are going through change, when you're going through struggle or going through fear, doubt, feeling unequipped, feeling lost, we come to this table every week to remember the grace of God. But this is also part of the conversation where. We're promised the grace of God, but within that grace of God is the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit to be with us always for comfort, for guidance, to help. So in a moment when we come to this table, I invite you to reflect on the wholeness of the story that we're so familiar with. And how this is not just this is the means of grace of God. This is how we accept, but that encompasses so much more if we don't come with intention of recognizing what it equips us to do. Let's pray.
Almighty God, we long for you to stay with us always. Not just in our worship, but as we live out this challenging, this challenging life, to be with us during the discomfort of living out our faith. God, by your powerful spirit, I just pray that you would turn our fear into courage, turn our discomfort into action. As your glory shines in the face of Christ, God, I pray that your glory would shine in our hearts, in our lives. And that as when we are like the disciples witnessing this transfiguration of Jesus, and we want to stay and cling to those moments of absolute glory, but yet we're called down from those moments to go forth equipped by your love to spread that love. So as we gather today, whether we are fully ready to do that work or we feel wholly unprepared, that we would be led by your glory in love spread that out. God, may we recognize, may we recognize your glory all around this world. And may we be open to recognizing how it points us in the ways that we might go in love. God, we love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.